Man, I really just don't like these, like, flavor words added in italics at the beginning of stuff. It's okay for the modal spells. Like, I get it I think there, it's great it, it for kind the modal spells. Of... I really like it for the modal spells. Because it fits the theme. Like, you come to a river, and then it tells you your options. Right. I think that's, like, nice. Sure. But for the, like, abilities on a card, like the Black Staff of Waterdeep, and it casts Animate Walking Statue, so it tells you... Like, it just feels like... Not not just, like, lazy design, because, like, the card should tell you the story, but it feels like a weird, like, concession that, oh, you know what, the D&D stuff doesn't really fit <laughs> on magic cards, so we're just gonna, like, force them in and tell you what the spell is instead of doing it via the mechanics. And, I don't know, it just, like, takes away all of the satisfaction of, like, getting the joke. Like, I assume that the people who who are excited to see that this casts animate walking statue. Those are enfranchised D&D players, and it's way more satisfying if they recognize, like, oh, that ability is casting animate walking statue. It's also called, like, Staff of Waterdeep or something, right? It's like a place name. So, I mean, that's a direct callback to what I assume... I don't play D&D, so let's assume it's just Mm -hmm. an item that casts that spell. So once you see the card, you know what it's going to do. Right. And, I mean, it's kind of the same for, like all of the other stuff like there is you know keen senses is an ability that some monsters can have you should make the mechanics of the card reflect that ability so then somebody goes oh it's an owl bear oh and it has keen senses that's really cute but if you say keen senses on the owl bear then it, there's no moment of like it clicking and you like getting the joke and having this moment of shared understanding with the designer of the card it's just like the the conclusion is laid out for you. It's like if somebody like walks onto the screen in the middle of a movie and goes, "Do you see what this is a metaphor for?" And it's like, "Oh, well, that wasn't very fun at all. I didn't appreciate that." I mostly don't care about the non-modal flavor words. They just like don't do anything for me, for or against. But I think it's really offensive. One of the things they did with it in this set. Which is that there is a literal ability word, not just yes. a flavor word, which is pack tactics. It's the it's mm-hmm. on Minion of the Mighty and some other card that's not on Scryfall, but I saw it on Twitter. Uh, it's whenever the things with attack, if they have six or more power, you could do a thing. So that's on yeah. two different cards. They're both pack tactics. So I can't right. just and it's doing... ignore every word. I have to read them all. <laughs> and most of them are meaningless. You don't have to because ability words you never have to read, but they are useful and helpful shortcuts that let you talk about cards. Like, I love ability words. I think they're a great thing to include in the game. There's no meaning to the text of pack tactics or landfall, but it's good to be able to talk about the landfall cards as a group or the pack tactics card cards as a group. But that that's what offends me. Like, how can you have a an actual ability word that strings cards together with similar abilities, mm-hmm. but also put it in a set that has about 50, 60, 100 different words that all look like that, but are meaningless. Right. It just ruins the shortcutting. I, I don't like it. It just, it, it feels like this is a, a huge overall like failure of design and failure to adapt the world of D&D effectively into the rule set of Magic the Gathering. And I just, I don't think it's as big of a stretch as they've like admitted to it being 
by using all of these, by putting the names of spells and D&D monster book abilities onto the cards. I, it's, it's just like this weird admission of defeat to something that like didn't beat you. The, these jokes you could totally get if you were into... Gelatinous cube. It eats things. <laughs> like, good luck. Right. Why would you need that explainer text on gelatinous cube? It exiles something and then you can put it into the graveyard. Like it's it's enveloped it and then if they kill it, they save their thing. But if they don't manage to and you pay the mana, then it digests it and is gone forever. It's a great design. Oh yeah. You don't need these words. Also, it feels weird the words that don't feel like they fit on the card, like on treasure chest. Yeah, treasure chest. It's like right. a normal card that's got a weird layout because it uses D and uh, D twenty rule text so it has like a different kind of layout which is fine i actually like that layout it works like it's really clear yeah yeah i I think it's way better than on a one or a yeah but when one of those die roll options out of four has the trapped Mm -hmm. thing and the other ones just don't describe it's like all right i mean i guess it sucks that i lose through life but at least i know that the chest is trapped (laughs) I, I would have gotten that th- that the chest had a trap in it if when you roll a one. Like it's you a failed one. your roll. It's a one. You took three damage. Well, it must have just had a trap and nothing good in it. Like it's there. The card tells the story without you having to like, did you get it? It's a it's a trap. Do you understand? I mean, Jack in the Box does the same thing, right? It's an unglued card. That's, mm-hmm. you know, roll, roll a six-sided die on a one or maybe it's a six. I don't remember. You lose five life and sacrifice it because mm-hmm. you crank up the box and a mox pops out because it makes every other color of mana. And yeah. on one of them, the jack pops out. The jack pops out, right. Also, Albear is hideously strong in Popper Cube. Like a five mana trampler that cantrips, that's insane. Has that not been a thing before? I know we have. So like, there's the one that makes you the monarch. Climber. But sometimes mm-hmm. that's like the uh, emissary of trust, I think. But sometimes that backfires, right? Like if you don't have that much of a board presence. Uh, but just a five mana four four trampler, great stats, cantrips. Draw a it's card. Just yeah, absurd. There, there are there's like plenty of limited decks that you just like kind of have to put the five mana four four trampler that you picked up into. So the the flavor words are really offensive on fifty feet of rope. Like I understand exactly what you are doing with the rope for each of these abilities. It's actually a really nice top down design of like what you can do with a rope. Target wall can't block this turn. You're using the rope to get over the wall target creature doesn't untap during its controller's next untap step you're restraining a creature and venture into the dungeon activate only as a source okay you're like using the rope to climb down into the dungeon you didn't have to name these things climb over tie up and rappel down like this there's so many words not that i dislike the spells that are like things your dungeon master would say to you i think they're like pretty cool like you find the villain's lair like i'm fine with that being the name of a card but like spend your words in places that are fun and make sense like that don't spend them on like over explaining the joke of a card to the the players who are smarter than you you know it's it feels infantilizing honestly i i don't take that strong a stance against it i just hate the pack tactics thing (laughs) maybe it's because i'm a writer or something i don't know what it is but like it's like offensive to me that you would come up with a thing you'd like create something and then you just be like, ah, our audience isn't going to figure this out. We got to put some labels on here. I'm mostly just disappointed that this is the first day of previews. 
and we just came off Modern Horizons 2, which a set that can keep me entertained for probably two years. And so far, I've seen actual zero cards I care about at all. That's why we're not going to talk about previews today. We're just going to keep talking about modern. Oh, perfect. <laughs> hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 202 of the MTG Grindcast, the moderniest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts. I'm Chris Castor-Apple. With me is Lee McLeod. Hey, Howdy. So we're going to talk about modern again today. But but Chris, we just got a bunch of Adventures in the Forgotten Realms spoilers today. This uh, release schedule is, it's something, man. Like, we're still learning how to use, you know, there, there's all this unlocked potential in modern from the cards that just got released very recently. Not only are we getting previews right now for AFR... But this set comes out next week on Arena. Like, it's just, it, it's time for the new set. And it feels really, like, I feel really claustrophobic right now, I think. One of my favorite, not really favorite, but one of the weird things about the release schedule is that yesterday, I think it was yesterday, people were talking about the Mr. Beast stuff just not getting paid out. And Wizards mm-hmm. tweeted that, oh, hey, you know, well, we'll talk about a thing soon now that everyone's bringing it up. And the next day is just preview cards. It's just previews. <laughs> so it doesn't like not feel like it's being sweeped under a bunch of stuff, but mm-hmm. eh. we'll never hear about that thing. Like they don't give a shit about it. I mean, honestly, I don't really either. I I don't either. The whole thing was really boggling to me from the very start. Like I never understood what it was supposed to do, and I don't understand how. Like, what was the intent of it being an advertising? Like, they didn't advertise it. Like, he didn't make a YouTube video about it. Like, you didn't even know if you were playing against him, which is the whole point. Right. And and there was no publicity. There was no content about it or anything like that. It didn't do anything. I. It's just like, like a company run by, like, monkeys making decisions at random. Like, it, it, it it's seriously like a, a word generator, like, Mad Libs thing, like... FNM with Mr. Beast and $25,000 and it's secret. And then they looked at the like slips of paper with those words on it out of the hat. And they say, huh, how are we going to make this one work? And they just don't bother. <laughs> like it, it just doesn't work. All right. But what are we doing today? This, this topic is kind of your baby. So why don't you introduce it for us? Yeah, so basically... This episode, now that we've gotten all our complaining out of the way, is... Mm-mm, mm-mm, oh, still not? Okay, well. There's no way. <laughs> so, basically, Paper Magic in America is coming back. I, I know some countries have had it already. Some countries still aren't getting close to it. But, at least in my situation and yours as well, uh, we can start getting back to FNM, start playing actual Paper Magic... And I know for me and a lot of other people in the area, modern is just the format to play in paper. Like it's the format people care about. We're not playing standard or historic or pioneer or any of that. It's just pretty much modern. And quarantine means that you missed the last year, two years of sets plus modern horizons. I have not bought a card in a while. 
you made better decisions than I did. I definitely did. <clears throat> but Modern Horizons was such a huge stakeup that I'm still having to reevaluate what cards I actually need and what decks mm-hmm. are really viable. So I figured this would be a good episode to just kind of be like, all right, you're dropped into Modern. You haven't played in a couple of years, or year and a half or whatever. What should you be playing? What decks could you buy into without just like wasting a bunch of money or cards? And to kind of disclaimer this off the back, it's not going to be a budget-focused episode because this is Magic the Gathering. Unfortunately, uh, the game's extremely expensive and there's no way around that. There are other resources for budget decks out there. I know Saffron Olive does a lot of budget decks for Modern because everyone loves them a lot. If you want to check those out, that's fine. We're going to be mostly sticking to all competitive decks that you can expect to reasonably play for you know a year at a time. And my budget suggestion actually is uh, just play with proxies. Yes. Like there's there's no reason to to play with actual magic cards it, except for if you're playing in sanctioned tournaments. But there's no reason to run sanctioned tournaments anymore anyways. There's no DCI numbers. There's no tracking of anything. I guess stores may be encouraged to because maybe it affects their like WPN status or something like that yeah but you know whatever just do copyright infringement like stealing is cool and piracy is great so i make proxies literally told uh one of our friends today the tracking number for the cube he just completely proxied and had a printer print out and shipped to him (laughs) (laughs) I, I like did the order up for him and today is like they shipped it out so i said oh here's your tracking number it'll your cube your entire cube will be your here cube is on its in way. about yeah. a week or two yeah i i mean like i'm sure that basically everybody that listens to this podcast also listens to arena deck lists on the last episode the conclusion of like wizards doesn't give a fuck about you so don't really worry too much about them is uh I mean, that's my official stance for every single corporation in the entire world, yep. but sometimes you want to make an exception for the company that makes the thing you like, but they don't give a fuck about you, so don't worry about it too much. Yeah, it's, it's quite clear. But if you are concerned at least about like gathering cards, building decks that are mm-hmm. actually viable, and you're like kind of light on modern, uh, just want to go through some decks, some different archetypes, depending on what you want to play, and then just mm-hmm. talk about what are the good things to be doing in those like silos and i think that you know we're going to be talking about how to get into modern and how to rebuy into modern or whatever however you want to like look at it there is often a question from a new player like what kind of deck should i start with that i can then like you know Let's transition from deck. that yeah right and i would say that the way generally to do that is Find a way to play matches where you don't have to buy the deck and can figure out what your playstyle in the format is, and then just start with any deck that is fun to you mm-hmm. that seems good. And, and you know, we'll talk about what has long-lasting implications and stuff. But you know, you can't transition from burn to any other deck. Like these searing blazes aren't gonna help you play Death Shadow or an Urza deck or something like that. Like the cards in modern are generally very specific to the decks they are good in. Yeah, there's like two broad categories of cards. There's like complete format staples, which is eternally good all the time in a bunch of different decks. Mm-hmm. Fetchlands, Thoughtseize, Lightning Bolt, cards like that. And then there's, you know, Searing Blaze, Lantern of Insight, uh, 
trying to think of glimpse <laughs> the unthinkable there's just like a million different cards you could feasibly right, see right. win a modern challenge that don't go in any other deck and i mean a lot of the time in the past i know burn and storm like gift storm have been the cheapest modern decks that were had reasonable win rates like really cheap like much cheaper than all the other decks and people mm-hmm. would buy those be like have a cheap competitive modern deck but then be unable to convert those cards into anything else yeah. So if they didn't enjoy the deck in the first place, they just kind of wasted all their money <laughs> instead of really saving to just play modern tournaments. Right. So you really want to avoid doing that. The ideal existence of modern is a deck where you get to find the deck that you love and like play that deck and its variants for years. I don't know that that exists anymore, but certain archetypes, at least, that is a possibility. Yeah, I think you're more forgiving depending on what you like to do. Uh, like if you're more a player like me where i just like degenerate combo stuff it's a lot harder because i've had i don't know <laughs> 10 decks banned from me mm-hmm. like the entire time i'm playing modern which is the whole format's length well for you know the year of modern leading up to the pandemic it was also just if you're playing the deck that you think is going to win the next tournament it's going to get banned out from under you pretty soon so you know <laughs> That, that particular existence touched a lot of us in the format. Yeah. But if you're playing Jund, like, since 2011, you're still playing it today with, like, just no Death Rite Shamans. That's true. You even got your Blood Braids back at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess we could segue into archetypes? Yeah, the, the broad categories. Yeah, so uh, I have it kind of sorted by relative applicability, I guess. If you, like buy into cards in a deck you can expect to use them in other decks uh, and that's usually mid-range and control have the most broad applicability because they're just a bunch of good cards that's all they are mm-hmm. mid-range and control just want to play good cards and beat you with them there's no yeah. usually no special stuff going on uh, there can be it's not always the case though mm-hmm. and you've got the aggro decks which in modern are generally pretty specialized uh, there's prowess, which is pretty broad. That's got a lot of good cards in it. But then you get to like tribal decks, which don't share cards at all, other than like Aether Vial, and then so on from there. And then there's the big mana decks and combo, which are just their own things. Like the the big mana decks maybe can share some cards sometimes if those cards are Tron lands, uh, but combo decks basically have no cards in common at all. They they they're running off of super specific requirements. The cards in, you know, in KCI. The cards you have that could have gone into other decks are like your sideboarded lightning bolts and nature's claims. And then the main deck is, you know, all cards that are only played in KCI. Yeah. Take your chromatic. It's not like you're playing KCI because you also have the chromatic stars from your Tron deck. That's just like two different type of people. Right, right, right. <laughs> like I don't own chromatic stars because I play Tron. I play them because I own KCIs and Emery's, you know? Yeah. <laughs> So let's talk about mid-range first. Sure. That's just the broadest category of modern deck. If you're just playing a bunch of good cards, high-quality cards, uh, this is where you're going to end up most of the time. Mm-hmm. And I know we bash Jund a lot on our podcast, but mid-range decks as a whole are actually really good in modern. <laughs> they, they really yes. are. Uh, they're just usually not Jund. Like, you've got Death Shadow variants of all shapes and sizes, I guess we can just like go deck by deck if you want. So the first one I have listed, I have three categories of mid-range decks here. Well, just to, to talk about the mid-range deck 
category broadly for a second. Mm -hmm. Like you do get the benefit of, hey, a large percentage of the cards that you got for the deck are like going to be good for a long time, are not likely to get banned out from under you and are good in a variety of decks. So even if like, oh no, this Jund deck isn't good anymore. Well, you know, these Tarmogoyfs, are going to get played in certain varieties of control decks and death shadow like these these lilianas are always going to be in some sort of demand like even if your deck isn't good anymore like the cards will be good but your initial investment when you're building one of these mid-range decks is often very high like jund is just like the most expensive deck in modern usually when all your cards are very good that usually means they're pretty expensive but that's kind of a benefit too because generally people have, if they played any modern at all, picked up some of these cards. And mm-hmm. the mid-range decks, since they play all the best cards from every era of modern, uh, if you're just like looking to update from the last couple of years and you're playing Jund, you don't actually have that many cards that you want to put in your deck that weren't already available. Yeah. Because you've already the best lightning bolts already been printed, fatal pushes already been printed, Tarmogoyf, Liliana. Like you're just looking at maybe you want to put a Grist in your deck or something like that, you know? Like and this often feels like a sign that this deck isn't quite keeping up with modern power levels, but we can take a better example, like the black red, red mm-hmm. the black red mid range yeah. deck, which is more of a in the past played magmatic channeler and uh, Luris and stuff like that. that. That actually it plays all a bunch of good cards too. You have Inquisitions, Thoughtseize, Lightning Bolts, Mistress Bobble, one of the best cards in modern. All the lands, Croxa, and it picked up a lot from. Modern Horizons 2, but really just like two cards, right? There's the Dragon's Rage Channelers and the mm-hmm. the Ragabonds. Yeah, but getting two good one-drops where previously you had zero is about the biggest possible deal you could have. Oh, it's substantial, but it's not like you are from whole cloth. You never had yeah. any of these cards before. Right. We, we were playing Monastery Swift Spear as an analog, like a way to get damage in for the Scourges and stuff. Yeah, so... Very high initial cost on these mid-range decks, because you're all good cards. But the cost goes down quite a bit if you just have cards from the past. Like, if you've already got Bloodstained Myers or whatever, you don't have to pay for right. it again. And and the cost of maintaining the playability of your mid-range game, like, it, I mean, it's basically the same thing you're just saying. But even if you don't have those cards, if you spend the money to get one of these decks, you get to keep it updated just by buying a good card here and there. Whereas with some of the other archetypes, you may have, you know, I like playing combo. You might have to switch decks entirely to keep playing combo. Yeah, and which typically involves buying 60 new cards. Right. Uh, but I've got mid-range divided up into three different categories here. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's black mid-range, which is your Thoughtseize decks. Your artifact mid-range decks, which are mostly anything trying to play a fair game with Urza or Emery. Uh, and miscellaneous because there's a million mid-range decks and you can't fit them all into nice tidy little holes uh Uh (laughs) Uh, where do you want to start i'll let you pick uh well i mean black mid-range is really what people think about when when you think about modern mid-range decks and i think thoughtseize is a really classic efficient disruptive thing like it hits anything you can beat anybody if you thoughtseize them twice and they don't draw well but, you know, sometimes you thought season twice and then they draw really well and you just kind of, like, have to throw a silent little tantrum across the table. Well, the classic thought sees is you thought see your hand is, you know, thought season to goif. You thought sees their one drop. 
you pass turn. They play the one drop you just thought seized off the top of their deck. Mm-hmm. And then you look at your top row and you're like, man, that's not right. <laughs> or whatever the card is, you know. Well, and the way that these decks have developed, especially in the past couple of years, and, and focused in on that way more to, to now, you know, the mid-range deck that we're going to always recommend, or the mid-range deck certainly that we're going to recommend right now, is some variant of a Luris build of the black mid-range deck, whether it's a Death Shadow one or, you know, Raghavan Dragon's Rage Channeler and uh, Dothy Voidwalker. After you thought sees your opponent... You want the game to end before their hand naturally like bounces back from the thoughtsies. The quicker you end the game, the better your thoughtseizes are. So hit them, and and that's what what we're gonna advocate for. Yeah, that's why Boomer Jund, which is the classic Bloodbraid into Liliana of the Veil Jund deck, just doesn't really mm-hmm. cut it in modern anymore because their clock is so slow. It's just not very good. They want to play a game where everyone goes to zero cards, and you just naturally beat your opponent with top decks. But modern doesn't work like that anymore. People can just top deck better than you. The Jundex cards are not all cream of the crop. And, and the vast majority of games that I have ever lost to Jund are when they, you know, sort of stumbled into their kill you pretty fast hands. When yeah, it's like they have two and one Thotsies. Right, right. Or they go like Bloodbraid Elf into Goyf and then a Bloodbraid Elf into Lightning Bolt and you're dead on turn five. You know, I, I think you want to optimize for that type of thing and, and so put cheaper power more powerful threats in your deck like dragon's rage channeler oh my god just play dragon's rage channeler yeah if you want to play just classic jund i would highly 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 recommend cutting all three drops and four drops and just playing Luris and a slimmer curve like you've got hex drinker you can play turok if you want uh there's mm-hmm. just a ton of cards that have come out in the last couple years Luris being the best of them a card that has had to pin eroded and was banned from vintage at one point <laughs> yes the card's incredibly strong just that's your card advantage card you don't need to do anything with your deck to make it happen just play a stream lined deck and do it naturally so yeah and if you like the thoughtsies game style you know this is this is the type of deck that it, it is fun to play and i think that the better your threats are the more fun it gets because you get to just kind of leverage low resources, punch him with Raghavan. Like, you know, the, the fact that Raghavan is like $50 right now certainly ups the price of this deck for the moment. But th- this deck isn't going to get hit with bans or anything. It's a safe investment, and it's some version of it using a decent percentage of your cards is always going to be acceptable. So it's a safe buy. Yeah, the I mean, Black Red Midrange is kind of a corollary to that uh, if you're not in the mood for playing green cards you just Mm -hmm. play slimmer black red cards and you have pretty much the same thing slightly Mm -hmm. more aggressive not as grindy and it's really easy you know collection wise to transition from one of these builds to another one of these builds especially going down in colors yeah death shadow is the other big mid-range black decks there's you know as many colors of these as you can shake a stick at there's grixis is i think usually the most ones people think about because that was big for a while uh, Jund Death Shadow also exists. There's various flavors of nonsense Death Shadow. I think those are the main two. The the mm-hmm. black, red, splash and other color ones. Blue is a little more tempo-y, control-y. Green one's a little more mid-rangey. Both of them should be playing Luris. Scourge of the Skyclave is so good with Luris. Yes. It just gives you like the gnarliest thing to flashback possible. Yeah, it's so big. Those, those Death Shadow got 
Scourge of the Skyclaves in Zendikar, which is one of the newer cards that you probably don't have in your collection. But I think it's pretty cheap. I don't actually know. Yeah, it's just a rare that really only sees play in modern, so... And they're really easy to pick up. The deck's full of strong cards. It's one of the... I don't want to call it more skill-intensive than the other mid-range decks, but it definitely asks you to pay a lot more attention or you're going to lose the game for yourself because of the way that life payment works in that deck. Oh, it is a Mythic, so that's like $12. But anyway, that's not terrible. This deck does a great job. If you're getting into Modern, this is a tough deck to play, but it does do a great job of teaching you resource management along like several different axes at once. It And it, uh, I think, is a a useful stack of abilities to have in your repertoire. I think it's one of the better decks for sequencing because it matters so much. Like just mm-hmm. playing with Mishra's Bubble and Street Wraith with Fetchlands, sometimes plus or minus Serum Visions if you're in blue or Opt or whatever, uh, that can be a lot to handle if you've not really done that before because it's not something that happens in Standard at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, I wouldn't be put off by the difficulty, just be willing to learn it, you know? Yeah. Don't get Street Wraith anymore if you're doing Luris, sadly. Yeah, but that's true. There are lots of little sequencing things that, that are tough and, and important to learn. See, I got the Street Wraith bobble thing because of the old Death versus Death Shadow and also the fact that you're also doing that in the Athwar decks all the time. Right, right. And that's our next broad, you know, our next subcategory of mid-range decks is artifact mid-range decks, which have been uh, heavily co-opted by Asmore. Underworld cookbook. I think it's just entirely that. Like, the Urza mid-range decks in the past all mm-hmm. relied on cards that have been banned, like Ogo right. or Mox Opal. Those don't exist anymore, so you kind of have to go to something that lets you play a long game with all the artifact tinkery stuff. Because artifacts have a ton of good payoffs in colors, mm-hmm. like Emery and Urza and Thought Monitor now. And Asmore just makes a million artifacts and is a huge board control tool. You've never really been able to generate boards this artifact heavy in modern before. I mean, certainly with Mox Opal, you had the hand dumping thing, but this simulates that reasonably well. And Oval Chase Daredevil plus Underworld Cookbook, you just got a lot of artifacts. Yeah, like previous artifact mid-range decks were kind of just like stalling you along until they assembled usually a Thought Resort combo or just an unattainable mm-hmm. board state. <laughs> Find walls of permanence. Uh, it can never really generate resources so readily as these Asmore decks do. Yeah. Uh, which is why there's so many different versions of them. There's Demir, there's Izzet, there's Golgari. All of them play a bunch of different cards. Uh, right now, it's looking like Demir is topping them. Maybe Grixis with a, a, a slight red splash. Mm-hmm. Uh, but honestly, any of them are just good because of how good the engine of Asmore plus Underworld Cookbook plus Urza Saga is. Yep. And those are all new Modern Horizons 2 cards that are extremely good. So I understand there's a bit of a, a cost there. But as far as I can tell, this is one of the best decks in Modern. It's won the last two challenges, top eighted in every one since the decks come out, or since the sets come out. And it's really fun if you want like mid rangey stuff. If you want to grind and also play powerful cards, this is one of the best decks to play. Also, if you've ever wanted to kill your opponent's Primeval Titan for zero mana. Yeah, that's just you know, good living. That's really fun. The Modern Horizons 2 like, engine cards that go into this deck, I think they're a pretty reasonable buy. Even if Asmore does end up get banned, that's a $4 card. You know, 
and, and the cookbooks aren't expensive, and I assume you can find Oval Chase Daredevils, and that's not that bad. And then, you know, the other cards that you bought for the deck may not immediately transition into, okay, yeah, I, I have a tier one deck, I can use these in. But the other cards that you bought are Urza and Emery and cheap artifacts, including Misha's Bobble. Those just, like, have been playable the entire time they've been legal and modern, so. Yeah, one of the things to keep in mind when, like, buying into stuff is how flexible your cards fit into other decks. Uh, I mean, the easiest example is like the Thoughtseize we're talking about, right? Thoughtseize goes in any deck you can cast black mana in. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a little less obvious with Emery because it's asking you to do a specific thing. You have to be playing artifacts. Yeah. But because there are good artifacts in Modern and they print artifacts every single year in almost every set, uh, right. there's a high chance Emery is going to be playable again. Like... Okay, so they ban Asmore. Then we just look for what to do with artifacts because Emery and Urza are so good. Right. And that's like, what is it? Brainstone and Terminus or something like that? Like, who knows? But there's some. there will be something. So as long as you like using these cards of Emery, Urza, and, you know, probably Thought Monitor at this point is, is reaching, like... I guess Thought Monitor becomes bad if you don't have Underworld Cookbook anymore. So maybe that one doesn't stick around. But the Urza-Emery artifact core, it, like you'll find reasons to play it it's just what is the reason at this point in modern yeah right i i owned all the all these cards in these decks except for the modern horizons 2 ones uh, and mox opal was banned in january of 2020 and mm -hmm. i kind of didn't play any modern after you know march or so <laughs> of that year and i still owned all these cards and i wasn't really worried i never wanted to play a deck in modern until now because yeah. I owned all these artifact cards, but I knew eventually they'd print, they'd make a mistake where a card would come out that's good enough and all these artifact cards would be viable again. And that happened. Right. I mean, Urza did take a break. It was solidly, any Urza deck was solidly tier two until Modern Horizons 2 came out, but they're not going to stop printing artifacts. So, right. It's a, it's the difference between your, your good marquee cards being tied to a specific thing that's likely to get printed again. Versus mm -hmm. if you're buying into something like Merfolk, where uh, there's not even a Merfolk every year. <laughs> you know, your forum lights up when there is a card that could go into your deck. <laughs> when they print a random Merfolk in the core set, and your Facebook notification comes up, you've got a, a, a pop-up. Is Does this go in your deck? And it's just like a random comments. You're like, uh, uh, no. <laughs> yeah. But it's the only card that's been printed with that type for you know a year so. You gotta thought. You gotta think about it. That's what you want to avoid. Uh, the big question about going into artifact midrange right now is: Am I wasting two hundred dollars by buying Urza Sagas? I don't think that Urza Saga is likely to get banned for a solid stretch. It doesn't seem like it's completely taking over. It seems like it's mostly limited to the specific Urza Saga decks, uh, Amulet being one of those, which is like kind of the the red flag and the big risk here. And it, it definitely hurts to shell out $200 for a set of a brand new card that who knows what's going to happen with it. But it's really fun to play with. I really like playing with Ursa Saga. <laughs> I do too. I I think it's more likely that Amulet is the offender in this specific card's life than mm -hmm. the card Ursa Saga, which is a little weird. Uh, but adding consistency to the, the Amulet deck is so huge. Way more than all the other stuff it enables like hammer time or asmore outside of amulet urza saga is 
in a weird roundabout way, like kind of doing the work that Mox Opal would be doing in the format otherwise, just like making the artifact decks playable. And as somebody who has realized that Mox Opal should be unbanned, you know, I've got to be pretty fine with Urza Saga overall it, in the format. It's a good card that allows archetypes to be more represented in modern. I think that's a good. Uh, if the cost is something from Amulet, which is a perennially problematic deck that's had many cards banned from it for being too consistent or too fast, like if mm-hmm. the cost is that Amulet has to have something get struck and down from it uh, to keep more decks in the format, I think that's a fair cost to pay. Hopefully Wizards will see it that way because I'm about to order some Urza Sagas, so, you know, I don't really want to get those banned out, but... I've, we'll I've already bought them. I bought them the second they oh, were previewed. Like, oh, I know. There's no way I was going to miss that. <laughs> oh boy, we're still in mid-range. Oh yeah. Uh, so we've we got the last section of mid-range. So this is just your miscellaneous section. You're recommending don't buy into these unless you really love the gameplay because there's not a lot of lateral movement out out of like Gruul Midrange or Eldrazi Tron or Niv-Mizzet into other archetypes. There is the fact though that like the there is an ephemerate core yes. that moves between multiple different decks. Mm-hmm. And and that's a new thing to have like ephemerate solitude, some other stuff that can easily transition from one deck to another. Right. Like I think Ephemerate is one of those cards that is just very good standalone. And there's other stuff going mm-hmm. in between that. Uh, but the decks we have, like in this category that I listed, there's a bunch of them. Basically what I'm recommending is that you should proxy all these, play a bunch. If you mm-hmm. like them, go for it. Uh you're yeah. not gonna do a ton with the cards if you pick something like Eldrazi Tron, because that deck doesn't play colors. <laughs> so you don't have a lot of options there. I you know, this is obviously like my bias is in what I find fun to play. But if I were going to buy into one of these decks, you know, I, I would want to have one with the core of Ephemerate Solitude, Skycliff Apparition, and, you know, kind of like build what I want from there. And, and that gives you some avenues into some pretty fun decks that you can play. Yeah, so there is Death and Taxes, which is your Stoneforge Mystic, Archon of Emeria, usually just kind of lock them up Thalia decks where mm-hmm. you have this really good Cauldre game plan now with Cauldre Complete uh, backing up all the Death and Taxes-esque permission cards. Uh, really grindy, pretty good. Uh, I, I used to laugh at it a lot, but I'm more on board with Death and Taxes as a reasonable deck to play against. Uh, especially since you have so many good cards now, you don't have to play like Clunkers, like uh, uh, Leon and Arbiter. Your solid Leon and Arbiter Stoneforge Mystic combo. <laughs> Yeah, love to see it. I think one thing keeping me back from recommending some of these as a thing to buy in is I can't encourage anybody to buy Stoneforge Mystic at eighty dollars right is now. Is it really that expensive? Gracious. Yeah. So I, I would wait for that reprint to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. If you love playing Stoneforge Mystic, like you've been playing a lot of Moto and you love doing it, you know, go for it. That you can't put a price on happiness, but this card has to get reprinted, and. Uh, also, it has to start seeing slightly less play than it is now. Or, or you know, there's there's a bubble there to some extent. Uh, and then there's Soul Hoarder, which is also a Stoneforge Mystic deck. Uh, and Soul Hoarder, I titled Soul Hoarder, but it's really just Ephemerate. Uh, you don't usually play Soul Hoarder anymore. Uh, it's just like the Blink Midrange decks. Some of these are, are Stoneforge Mystic decks. Some of these are like 
you know, vile Eladomri's call eternal witness stacks. There's a but, lot of different ways you can. I think this is one of the more flexible decks, like as long as you, mm-hmm. because the deck is really just four frame rates, a pile of one ofs, and a bunch of dreams. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you just customize that deck however you want to play it. As long as you've got eternal witness and ephemerate and some creatures, <laughs> you're good to go. Yep. And there's this this is one of the places where you get to like inject your personal style. If this is your type of deck, you get to build it how you want. So if that's important to you, then I would definitely look into this direction. It it's hard to put a lot of your personality into the build of your, you know, black red death shadow deck. But here you can you know, are you playing Teferi? Like, do you want to play, like, some main deck hate cards in Eladomri's Call? Like, there's lots of options. When you cast green, not green, Sun Zenith, what's Eladomri's Call? Is your opponent not going to know what you're going to find because there's a lot of options or because you just have a bunch of cards in your deck you like and they're yeah. reasonable? Like, that, <laughs> that's a thing that happens with this deck. Yeah, exactly. Ponza is the next one I have. That's just the gruel mid-range. I'm going to kill your lands now. Uh, the ones mostly people playing are the liquid metal coating variety with uh, Gorilla Shaman or Braids and Pillages. Uh, this is a highly aggressive mid-range deck in that it's you know not attacking you a lot on the life axis, but it really just doesn't want you to play the game. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't really encourage anybody to get into this deck. Arbor Elf Utopia Sprawl is a thing that I love and think that, like, is just one of the most powerful things in modern still and will be for a long time. It's unlikely that metas are friendly to this type of strategy for any length of time. Yeah, I think this deck is almost never good. I, I think it's only been good once or twice in the entire time I've been playing modern, and that was only recently. I want to do a com- if I'm going to play a green red deck, I want to do something completely different from this. Like, I want to play like Ragavan. Renin six mox amber asmore or something like that you know i i, I don't want to be doing this this like so, oh, five pick up your cycle nonsense. land discard it to enable asmore yeah yeah exactly like i you know some some i want to use some of the good cards not some of the like clunkers oh, oh did you remember that pillage is in modern it's pillage like <laughs> it's not that good uh the other two are eldrazi tron and niv mizzet which are kind of i mean they're widely different there's just a whole range of colors in those two decks. <laughs> uh, Eldrazi Tron is a deck you have to like be an Eldrazi Tron person to really appreciate. I, it's perfectly fine as a mid-range deck. I would highly recommend doing a bunch of proxying and playing with it before actually buying it. It's pretty mm-hmm. bad right now. Uh, and not a lot of cards get printed for the deck ever. They have to be colorless. Like, yeah. <laughs> Eldrazi Tron hasn't gotten a good card since Karn the uh, Great Creator. Which is really strong. Which made the deck a deck and yeah. not just like a bad zoo deck with Chalice in it. Yeah. It, the card the Great Creator was transformative. That's also a card that's restricted in vintage <laughs> to give you kind of an idea of how rare cards like that come around. <laughs> I can't tell anybody not to buy into a Niv-Mizza deck. It only plays good cards. Yeah. So e- Even you if know. you're not playing all five colors and all of these cards at the same time, like maybe you Mm-hmm. Break it apart, play an Esper deck, and throw all your Kaya's Giles in there. Right. Like, you won't be mad that you own Renin Sixes and some Teferi Time Revelers and, and Fetches. And, yeah, I guess Prismatic Vista mostly only sees play in, in this deck. 
I guess it's not even in this list. This isn't even a Prismatic Vista list. But, you know, like, your cards are all applicable in weird other places. And while it's difficult to transition from Niv-Mizzet to anything else in particular, you can at least sell your cards and they'll they'll have value. Yeah, the, the mana base is, I think, the real kind of selling point or buying point <laughs> oh yeah and i one other thing about buying in is go ahead and just like fill up any spot slots in your fetch lands that you don't have filled and and you might want to play buy fetch lands like right now if that's a thing that you will use yeah the cheapest fetch lands are the week after they're reprinted so mm-hmm. we're actually in that time right now as we're recording this yeah I have my Fetchland order ready to go, and I'm going to complete my collection and have all of them because it's a pain in the ass when you just are missing a couple. Yeah, I ordered everything but Marsh Flats, and I'm just going to rely completely on you for that, I guess. <laughs> That's fine. I've actually never once played the card or even tried to find one. I don't think that... I, I think that's the only fetch that I have never registered in Modern. Yeah, same. <laughs> all right, that's it for mid-range. Whew. I, Took a minute. I, the, the weird thing about mid-range is it's the most broadly applicable just because it has all the good cards in it mm-hmm. uh, but it's not sexy like it, it's just you like playing normal games of magic and these are good decks so you play them urza emery is one of the sexier ways to play it's also one of the mid-range weirder though. mid-range decks right like right. when you when i say mid-range deck everyone went to thoughtsies and uh, i don't know how many people went to oh you mean like emery <laughs> you know <laughs> well but the the deck with a you know 22 for one spells in it including like a shriek viscera not even split card it just is both of those things like that's mid-range like that is a mid-range deck but we get to move on to the sexier mid-range decks now which are just control decks mm-hmm. i guess that's how i'm selling this now that i've you know div- <laughs> i've locked in <laughs> they're basically the same as mid-range decks as far as cards go there's just a different sphere of playstyle. uh they're all generically good cards i think it's mostly just that like these decks are playing the card counter spell now yeah they're blue basically yeah. mid-range decks are blue tangentially like the uh the fm rate decks but they're mm-hmm. not really blue decks the control decks are capital b lue blue decks yeah uh, i've got this divided into three control kind of spheres there's just pure control decks uh, the blue, like blue eye control. There's the mid rangey control decks, like any Stoneforge deck, and then there's the prisony control decks, which aren't really control decks, <laughs> like Lantern. So for pure control, this is your your blue white control, your Esper control. Basically, you you grab your four cryptic commands you've held ever since you were a child, and you love <laughs> them with all your heart, and then you figure out what other cards you're gonna play around it. That's what these control decks are. <laughs> yes. And it's not always four cryptic commands. It's just, you know, dramatic storytelling. It's four counter spells, and I think that's the only given, generally. Like, your numbers on your other stuff can shift around. Yeah, like, blue-white control, esper control, if you want to play Sultai, if you want to play Jeskai, just, like, straight up. Basically, anything the Seif tries to play is viable, mm-hmm. because the blue cards are really good in this format. Uh, they're just yep. not really surprising. Blue's the best color. And yeah, and you got a lot of years of blue cards to pick from, including just like the creation from whole cloth of Archmage's Charm and Modern Horizon, which is kind of a big reason to play a deck that is playing the game at this pace. Archmage's Charm is great. Yeah, Archmage's Charm and Force of Negation, both huge, huge, huge pickups from mm-hmm. Modern Horizons. 
as well as Kaya's Guile, if you're playing Esper, that's actually mm-hmm. much better than I previously given credit for. You also have Dam in Esper, the kill spell slash wrath. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't have a ton to say about like these specific decks. You picture them in your head, head when I say blue white control. It's just, you know, counter spells, removal spells, planeswalkers. That's kind of the deck. I don't think we need to talk to anybody who's thinking of get- like. If you are this type of player, you know it. Basically, if you want to cast Teferi Hero of Dominaria, like you know it, and you you have to, in order to be happy, and so go ahead and buy into these decks, and you get to play actual counterspell. And uh, I mean, and you could spend there's... your entire life going between different shards of color combinations and playing control mm-hmm. decks with Jace the Mind Sculptor, Teferi, or whatever. You've got hella new tools now with Prismatic Ending and Counterspell. Like, just incredibly efficient. And then you can choose, how do you want to win the game? Are are you a Teferi deck? Are you a Lurus Brainstone Terminus deck? Like, what what is your card advantage endgame? And just what is the most fun to you? Because the thing that really matters is that you're playing the correct interaction for however the format is set up currently. And I, I don't think these are ever going to be the top deck in the format it's too hard to be the top deck with a control deck because the format is or the game of magic is fundamentally against you but if you love looking at lists every week and then coming to your tournament with an updated deck that you're addressing what you think or or if you like paying attention to what the people in your local area show up to tournaments with and then it's like oh man there's like three cascade players out of the 16 people that randomly show up so i better play a, a a version with teferi time raveler in it like if you like doing that then play these decks i also think control decks are some of the funnest decks to play if you believe yourself to be like generally more skilled than your opponents like locally or whatever because there's these games have a ton of play and the games drag on so you get more chances to like exercise or flex basically See, I, I, I've talked about this before, and I think that part of that is also just that they're, like, harder to play against they are. than any other deck. Yeah, they are. Because you get to hold up mana, and they don't know what's going on. So the weaker your opposition is often the more, f- like, if Magic is a zero-sum game, or zero sum fu- game of fun, then the more fun you'll be having if your opponent's just kind of, like, shut down when you have four mana up and a bunch of it is blue and some of it is white i think the most difficult thing about magic is uh when you and your opponent have some information disparity Mm -hmm. and control is a ton of that because most of your stuff is just in your hand or on top of your library Mm -hmm. or whatever Uh, the only other time this really comes up is when you bring some new crazy brew to a, a store you play against an opponent no one's ever seen it before you get the same thing even if you're not just playing control deck it's the same yeah. principle to me. You just have a huge information advantage. Right. And the range of things that you can have in your hand in modern that your opponent may or may not be successfully playing around is so broad. Because it's like we now have powerful sorcery speed removal in Prismatic End. You can play Path to Exile. You can have Snapcaster Mage to rebuy stuff. You can have Counterspell, Cryptic Command, Arc Mage's Charm, Force of Negation if you're tapped out. You can punish your opponent for playing like cautiously with an end of turn removal spell on their one thing and then you slam a, a huge haymaker like Teferi. Like there's so many punishing play patterns that you can have if you happen to have the right cards that, you know, set yourself up and you have some really fun sequences. Mm-hmm.
So that's that's your control for your control guys. You already know who you are. You just need it to be like, you know, oh, the Modern Horizons cards are great. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, other ones I've got are just the mid-rangey control decks. Uh, these are mostly just blue kind of counterspelly decks that also want to attack you. Mostly I have Monkey Blade in this, which is the Raghavan Jeskai Stoneforge Mystic deck that's mostly blue cards and some removal for Raghavan with equipment to back it up. Mm-hmm. I think that looks really good. It's my favorite control deck you can play in the format right now. And it's gotten a lot more controlling than than even tempo. Like Raghavan does make some games look a little weird, but this isn't a spell caller deck anymore. It's a lot of counter spells and instant speed stuff. Yeah, because the the way Raghavan works, if you can play it relatively early in the game, or you just have a removal spell to back it up, uh, getting that extra treasure allows you to do more sorcery speed and still have up counter spell, mm-hmm. which is a huge game changer for that style of deck. But again, I would avoid buying stone if you don't already yeah. own Stone of Orange Mystics. If you do, then spend fifteen bucks on a culture complete, and you can play some really good decks. Yeah, exactly. And this, I use Monkey Blade as my main example, but this applies to any kind of Stoneforge pile that's blue. Uh, there's Bant ones I've seen out there. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the only two I've seen, but those are both solid decks. I would not be surprised to run into. You get Lightning Bolt and Ragavan with red. I just can't. Oh no, I like those. I like that deck way like... more. But there, right, people right. are also playing like Noble Hierarch and stuff. Like that's not. If you don't right. want to buy Ragavans, if you have Noble Hierarchs, you can play those. The existence of Prismatic Ending does mean that you don't have to play black or red. Like, you can kill a one-drop now without wanting to die, so. Uh, I also have Mid-Mizzet in here as a control mid-rangey deck, because that's, it's really a pure mid range deck, but it does play just infinite removal spells. That's how it tries to win the game. <laughs> so it kind of, a little bit of overlap there, but we've already kind of talked about this deck. Yeah, and the Stoneforge decks also like kind of span the gap a little bit yeah. between control and midrange. Uh, my last category is the prison control decks, which are <laughs> very siloed. Uh, this is just Lantern and Enchantress. The two different types of permanents. They both do the same thing, which is just try to put permanents into play and completely lock you out. You can't play any of their cards in any other deck. Except for like Except Mishra's Bobble. Your, your thought seizes in Bobbles and Lantern. But yeah. Enchantress, you get like Stony Silence, Rest in Peace, I suppose. Blood Moon. Yeah, but everybody already owns the. You know, it's not a. <laughs> you already have your Stonies and Rest in Pieces. You, you, you're just buying 60 cards that can never be played in any other deck. And, and some Blood Moons. But if you want to. If you're not playing control because you want to outthink your opponent, you just want them to suffer, these are the decks. <laughs> Like, I've played quite a bit of Lantern Control. I like Enchantress, though I have not played it. I, I kind of want to, but I don't own a lot of the cards, so it's hard for me to do that. Yeah, and I don't think Enchantress is a lasting force in this format. I, I would highly recommend against buying into... Like, don't buy an $80 Greater Oromancy so you can play this deck, please. I also have more faith that... I have such little faith in wizards to print like good enchantments because the card type is so dangerous and we've been to two Theros sets which are supposed to be enchantment based and had almost zero playable enchantments in them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my confidence level for the playability right. of enchantments not just being injected via Modern Horizon sets every two years is extremely low. We're never going to get wild growth. 
the 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 enchantment planeswalker that they printed is just like worse than every tezzeret that they've ever printed like they don't want these to be good because enchantress is a pretty unfun it's one of the least fun play patterns of any deck like you might have fun locking your opponent out but if you're winning your opponent is not enjoying themselves it's very similar to lantern the difference is i guess in interactability artifacts are way easier to interact with enchantments because they've printed hate they've printed ancient grudge and shattering spree and you know i guess like ray of revelation exists but well there's so many more artifacts in modern that you can play ancient grudge you can't play ray of revelation yep so i don't really have anything to say about these decks i personally do like lantern a lot but i wouldn't suggest anyone buy those cards unless they've played a ton of games with it and just hate their opponents like i do sometimes i mean it's not a crazy thing to buy because the specific cards are really cheap you know like if you if you already have you know thought seizes and uh, you know surgicals and you know collective brutalities and and stuff it's mostly ensnaring bridge yeah and i mean that is relatively specific but it's also not incredibly expensive and buying the package of like lanterns and pixis and codex shredder is not gonna you know that that'll be like 20 bucks or something total i also think for what it's worth this deck is good mostly because mm-hmm. of Rizzo saga maybe not an incredible haymaker because it is weak to various stuff including people playing like a million engineered explosives in their decks but it is a solid deck yeah you know what urza saga actually not that expensive now i mean it's still expensive but 30 dollars, not 50 dollars. you want to move on to aggro let's do it so strangely enough though i imagine most people would shortcut aggro to being like a good entry point to the format or any format you could play aggro in uh, it's not that great if you want to have a robust collection, because they're all really, really specific. They're also harder to play than you think. Humans is a really difficult deck to play because the difference between playing it at 90% and playing it at almost 100% is like, that. that's like two matches in a tournament, basically. You have to play your cards in exactly the right order to get your 20 damage in. So it's a thing to think about, and it's a good thing to practice and know how to do, but it's not easy to play humans it's not easy to play prowess and it's not even that easy to play burn in a lot of like especially post board in a lot of matchups yeah i i do think there's one shining example though for like one of the better decks to get into the format with it which is prowess uh, mostly because prowess is so robust uh it plays a bunch of good cards that are you know typically you know you're not playing Lovatar anywhere else so they're usually only played in prowess. Like you're not, your Stormwing Entity is not going to get you too much mileage elsewhere. But there's a ton of different kinds of prowess decks. There's modern red. I've seen red black in older days with Luris. There's the classic is it. So you can use those cards and put them into different builds if you want to try something else out. On top of just being kind of one of the best decks in modern for the past quite a while. And it's relatively ban proof so it's pretty safe and it's strong enough that even if you never put these cards into a different deck like having this deck available to you to play at a thursday night modern to hand to a friend when they need a deck like this is a nice one to have on hand uh and there's burn which is 
the opposite of prowess. I think it's lost a ton of its stock because prowess is so good and it's gotten a bunch of cards for it. Uh, the difference between the two decks to me is really how good they are at getting cards from recent sets. Uh, prowess only asks you, after it's got its prowess core, like this one drops, it just wants spells to be printed that let you attack, which is most of the spells in Magic, because that's what the game's about. <laughs> uh, burn wants, you, wants specifically burn spells that go face, which they don't print a ton of anymore. And especially not at the efficiency level that it would be an upgrade to burn. It needs to be better than Lava Spike to get added to burn, and they haven't given us that since Lava Spike. So Yeah, so you're basically trapped in time when you play burn. You get marginal side upgrades from time to time, like Sunbaked Canyon was very good, but everyone mm-hmm. got that card. It's the best in this deck. Like, Yeah, it did improve your core strategy. It just lets you draw an extra Lava Spike, which is what your deck does. Like if you're mm-hmm. if lava spike is good in the format, burn can be good. But if it's not, and it's frequently not, you don't really have a lot of play to your deck. Like you're not. Yep. You, you can find it hard to win, but that's not something you can dig yourself out of a lot of the time. Right. Burn has a place, as we saw before. Well, before MH two came out, when prowess becomes really popular, burn is a fine way to prey on prowess. But that's a pretty specific niche thing and not really a, something that I'm looking for in my, like, here's my main modern deck. And, and the best thing about it is usually if you just have prowess anyway, you have most of the cards you'd realistically play in those, like, counterburn decks. You would just have to pick up, you know, Boros Charms or whatever and some of the Incinerators in that specific example, which are mm-hmm. not expensive cards. Like, the burn cards are all fairly cheap. Sure. But I would not start at burn. I would start with prowess because I think it's just the just the stronger general deck. Yep, yep, I agree. Uh, next up for aggro, I've got the tribal decks slash tribalish decks. The like kind of concentrated parasitic versions of the of the aggro strategy. Yeah, you can say that you know humans is human tribal. You could say that boggles is aura tribal. Mm-hmm. They're linear. Yeah, in a way that I I mean I guess burn is linear. Any aggro deck is linear. But these create assemblies of cards that are greater than the sum of their parts because they work well together. Yeah, they're and then highly synergistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, humans is, I think, the best one in this category just because of its broadness. Uh, you want cards that can be reprinted in sets that add to your deck in modern. Humans just wants you to play with the human creature type, and those mm-hmm. are printed in every single set. The only set without humans has been like Floorwood Block ever right (laughs) humans is a little bit at this point i mean it's a meta choice like you have to be confident that it's what you want to be doing and that generally means that the format is in a spot where it's doing some unfair stuff more than anything else and where your thalias are going to be really good and your kite self rebooters are going to really screw up your opponent when there's a lot i mean certainly when there's as more you can't really justify being like a tribal creature deck but generally, like when there's a lot of Urza going on, humans is not great against the stuff that those decks are doing. Humans is in particular pretty weak against engineered explosives. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if artifact decks are good, they usually have quite a few engineered explosives. Just because yep. of Emery now. I, I mean, yeah. Like you get artificially increased. If you have three engineered explosives in your deck, it feels like you're playing with like five or six or seven, like if you have Emery. Yeah, and it's so hard to medley mage them. 
because you have to get it way before the the ignition explosives comes down. The first thing they want to run on is two. I, I do like humans. I think it's a good deck to like if you like the style and you don't want to just play prowess, you want to play an aggro mm-hmm. deck. I think it's the best one in this category, yeah. just because it's the most general. It'll be playable the most often. You can play a bunch of games with it. May may not always be the best choice, but it is gonna usually be the best choice in this kind of category. Your cards also do not go into anything else. Right. All of these uh, decks do, pretty much. Right. You know, you get your Noble Hierarchs that could go into something else. Some of your lands can. This deck is, like, kind of wildly... has some individually wildly expensive ingredients, so you have to be, like, pretty justifying this to yourself in order to invest in it. In particular, Cavern of Souls and Aether Vial are very expensive right now. And Aether Vial does have some applicability, because it's protected from the ban list just because mm-hmm. it's a very strong it's card classic yeah it's a classic and it's not played in extremely strong decks typically mm-hmm. yeah yeah well because it requires you to play 30 creatures or whatever and that's it it's hard for as as good as creatures have gotten it's hard for that to be the type of thing that starts getting attention by the ban hammer which brings us to our next trinity. I just have these three all at the same. Uh, Merfolk, Elves, and Goblins. Mm-hmm. Three wildly different decks, but they're all basically the same <laughs> in that they are playing Scryfall, search for their creature type, seeing what the best ones are, and throwing it in their deck. Merfolk is creature, pump lords, tribal. Elves is a bunch of mana generation into a huge payoff. Goblins is this weird hybrid combo deck with Conspicuous Snoop now, plus some aggro elements. It's very odd. <laughs> well, it wasn't even a deck before that, so, you know, it's it's odd compared to old versions in other formats of Goblins, but this is what Modern Goblins always has been. <laughs> so they're... I lump them together, even though they're extremely different, uh, but you're really just picking your lane of what you want to do. It, you mean which way you want to lose to Lava Dart? Yeah, exactly. Or Plague Engineer, whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, humans is the same thing. It's just yeah, it's generically it's better. Because <laughs> humans is a more robust strategy. Its cards do a bunch of different stuff. Whereas Merfolk, you're never going to be surprised about what their cards do. They all do the same thing. Same with Elves, pretty much. Goblins is a little weirder, but... <laughs> Yeah, if you if you are a merfolk or an elves player, you know it, and you own these cards already, I think. If you want to play that sort of like linear, same plan every game thing, a lot of your cards are redundant, especially with merfolk, you know, you, you kind of know it, and I'm not going to dissuade you from playing the deck that you enjoy playing. If this isn't your deck, though, I can't recommend getting into this. Goblins is a little different, because like, who knows what those things, like... There's a lot of weird cards. There's tutoring and stuff that goes into it. Like, there's a lot you that goblins could potentially do. It's not doing it yet, but goblins it, it could is at some point. unlike Merfolk and Elves. Goblins is really kind of an engine deck in disguise mm-hmm. because of all the way goblin cards interact with each other. They're heavily sacrifice or fodder oriented often. Right. So you just need a few random cards or reprints that just make goblins into a completely different beast it's it's pretty robust but really really difficult to build well i mean if they put muxus into modern then all of a sudden like goblins is tier one right i probably hopefully they won't do that (laughs) i yes i also hope that they won't do that uh next up i have boggles 
which is a, a neat little deck. Its cards go absolutely nowhere else, but it smashes mid-range decks most of the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's it's like one of those decks that you don't really want to play every week because it's not just generically strong. But if all of your opponents are showing up to play fair games of Magic and you throw lifelink auras on a boggle, you're just going to crush them. Yeah, we saw that happen in our Popper coverage this past weekend. Popper boggles, Armadillo Cloak versus Affinity. Not even close. No. Uh, what are they going to do? Galvanic Blast it? They can't. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't have a lot to say about Boggles. It's the best, most generically powerful cards are all on the sideboard, like Ley Lines or Hate Enchantments. Uh, other than yeah. that, your, your deck's not that expensive. It's pretty cheap as far as modern decks go. Yeah, it's just the lands, which are universally applicable, so... Uh, the last deck I have in this tribal shell is plus one, plus one counter tribal, uh, Hardened Scales. <laughs> I initially had this in the mid-range decks, but then I was looking at all the cards that it plays, and it just plays like nothing any other deck would play. Like, it's all Zabaz, Arcbound Worker, Arcbound Ravager, Ozolith, Throne of Geth, Hardened Scales. None of these cards see play in any other deck. I think I just, like, from playing Hardened Scales in Pioneer for a tournament... And then from the like, the fact that they made Arcbound Ravager into a promo randomly, and the fact that I've like played Walking Ballista in every format that I possibly could, I think I just straight up owned this deck by accident. Except for the Ozolith, right? Except for the Ozolith and the Urza Sagas, which I'm going to buy today. So Yeah, I, I do own this deck. I like it a lot, actually. Uh, it won one of the early modern challenges with Modern Horizons 2, uh, Urza Saga being a huge pickup for this deck. I actually think this is better than humans currently, just because of how Urza Saga is powering up this deck. Uh, but it is a bit of an oddball for sure. It is. Try it. If you haven't played this deck, like give it a shot. Like this might be the most fun you've ever had playing. You might hate it. Like it might not be for you. You the math might just not be enjoyable. But this might be the most fun you've ever had playing Magic, depending on what you are into in a game. I think it's a super fun deck, mostly because when you have Ravager and Hardened Scales out, you just get to count every turn, and most <laughs> of the time you win right after you do that. It's at least good for you if you don't win. Yeah. Uh, this deck's a blast. I actually really like it. Me too. Uh, it, it does feel kind of bad to sink. These cards are not cheap on the whole i guess they're not mm-hmm. too bad like the ozolith and it's the not... ravager the most of the cost yeah it's not awful i mean the ink moth nexuses are also kind of expensive and that's a pretty specific one to pick up for like 30 plus dollars a pop but it's not awful and a lot of the like really specific ones that other than ink moth nexus you know are are really cheap like Spending $5 on four Zabaz the Glimmer Wasps is not... You're not going to, like, be too mad about that. It's also super fun. Like, I would play this deck at almost any FNM ever. And I don't typically play decks like this. Yeah. Well, like, this isn't too far removed, like, philosophically from, like, Dicetron, right? Like, this is just, like, weird artifact things and moving counters around like this it's a lot of the same stuff it's just that one wins in combat and one wins with mana i mean that's pretty different <laughs> is it honestly I, is it even yeah like the the, the charge tron deck is just 
I'm going to play my entire deck in one turn. That's a way sure. different feeling than I'm going to kill this you is, with all this stuff. This is, I'm going to turn my resources into like 35 damage in a turn. Like that's, you know, you just like get a critical mass of resources together and then it does something. And then you something. flip the scale and kill them. Exactly. You know, like like the turns are, they have a flow to them that's kind of similar. Like the things you're doing are very different, but the the sort of like turning point thing there is is kind of the same. They they both have this thing, and all these decks do really, where they're all their parts come together to form like this huge machine. All mm-hmm. tribal decks do this. Hardened Scales is one of the better ones at doing it because its cards are so cheap. Uh, I also have two classic aggro decks for modern, which are fallen off a lot in recent times. But this is just Dredge and Affinity. Mm-hmm. I can't say anything that would convince people who don't already know about these decks to play them. Uh, Dredge, you know, if you want to play Dredge or not, it's pretty fun actually. I actually do like playing Dredge, but it is not for everyone for sure. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, I'll just agree with that because i find dredge to be a miserable experience to play so (laughs) affinity has made a more of a resurgence recently with the printing of thought monitor urza saga and nettlesist which is Mm -hmm. a three-man artifact with living weapon that is plus one plus one for each artifact you control and enchantment too so it counts urza saga sometimes (laughs) Uh, but uh, affinity is not on the strong side of decks it's just if you have artifact cards and you feel like attacking, you can throw them all in a deck and play them. <laughs> yeah. Without Mox Opal, the deck just doesn't... Your mana costs are just a little bit wrong in Affinity, I think. If the... <laughs> Basically, you need four more Dark Slick... Uh, not Dark Slick Shores. Dark Steel Citadels. Mm-hmm. Some some colored artifact land, if such a thing were ever to exist. <laughs> yeah. It would really put Affinity in a good spot, but... That's unlikely to happen. Yep. Moving on. Let's do it. To big mana and combo. Mm-hmm. I put this list with big mana up first, but I only listed Amulet Titan <laughs> because Tron decks have died. And those were the only big mana. So basically the categories of big mana in modern historically have been Tron and Primeval Titan. Mm-hmm. so the tron decks are just not very good anymore uh they're they don't do anything well in the format compared to the other decks uh, especially poor eldrazi tron which is just kind of hanging in there and honestly i think it's the best of the tron decks permeable type decks on the other hand are all the same right they're just trying to cast permeable titan and win the game from there mm-hmm. so this was this includes all the scapeshift decks as well as amulet titan uh, the problem with other Primeval Titan decks matching up against Amulet Titan is that Amulet Titan casts Primeval Titan faster than all the other ones and wins the game equally. <laughs> so if you're right. already winning the game and you're doing your thing better than your competition, you should just play the best Primeval Titan deck, right? So that leaves Amulet as the only entry in this category. I agree. I think that Urza Saga has kind of catapulted Amulet to... Uh, another level i think if we were having serious modern competition right now and i'm not going to count the mocks because that's an eight player tournament and so there's like a lot of considerations that don't come into play when you're going to an open or, or going to a pro tour or something like that if if we had like a modern pro tour coming up 
I feel pretty confident that Amulet would be very obviously a problem and kind of the enemy number one for engaging in the format. Like it's it's the level zero deck that you're you're gonna play if you wanna win. And then everybody else has to solve that problem. The having four Urza sagas and four amulets in your deck. Decks that are named after a card want that card. Amulet even more than most decks. Your win percentage jumps astronomically when you have an amulet in play. It reaches the moon when you have two in play and having effectively eight copies of the card in your deck over four just like change those percentages drastically in every single matchup i think it's impossible to lose if you have two amulets in play and you're resolving a premium titan Mm -hmm. and the percentage of two amulet hands essentially has skyrocketed with urza saga and amulets all being in the same deck Yep. I personally believe Amulet Titan is the best deck in modern right now, even better than all the Asmore decks. I, I agree, yeah. Uh, Canister has top-aided three different challenges in the last two weeks or so, all playing Amulet Titan in different versions. Uh, was playing just normal Amulet with Abundant Harvest and just you know, casting Titans, and then was playing versions with Through the Breach and Imrakul, mm-hmm. like, in addition to all the Amulet stuff. I would say normal amulet with abundant harvest is kind of probably the the right start. Yeah, that's place. the default for sure. Well, mostly because you don't have to purchase through the breach or Emrakul. <laughs> oh, but then I don't get to use my sweet RPTQ Emrakul. I don't remember the art for that one, but I assume it's, it's worse than the original. It's oh yeah, it's probably. But you know, you don't see it very often. So when you do see it, like every time I'm like leafing through my box and I see it, I'm like, oh yeah, I have this like. $140 Emrakul in here. <laughs> I like Amulet a lot. Uh, it used to be much harder to play than it is now, mostly because Urza Saga into Amulet makes your hands a lot easier. You just get to have Amulet all the time, and it's a lot easier when you have Amulet in play. If I wanted to win a tournament, I would, I would just play Amulet right now, because I already own it, thankfully. Mm-hmm. Yep, I think that that is the right choice. Uh, this is the best deck in the format, and I don't think it's particularly close, honestly. All right. I'm not willing to go that hard lined, but I also agree with you. So, <laughs> I, every every match I've seen with Amulet, like it's just terrifying. Like it's just doing the strongest stuff, and it's doing it the most consistently. The reason you that ha- Asmore decks have won, Asmore decks have won two challenges against Preval Titan in the finals, mm-hmm. and the reason is because if you can just kill the Preval Titan, to turn it into play, you've got a shot, a good shot. Right. If they can't find another one. <laughs> and I mean, all that really, like, Amulet can adapt. And if you realize, like, oh, the thing that's beating me is an Asmore in play, that's a solvable problem. You throw a Pithy Needle in your deck to search for Saga, is, yeah. I think, what ends up happening. Sure. Or you, and you play two more Dismembers or something like Like, it's not hard. Team Amulet. It's really good. If you, you know, you buy into Amulet, you're buying a lot of cards that don't go into anything else. But they're is a huge payoff here and i mean this deck may not 100 percent survive i, I think this is the like, most scary or the scariest buy-in of this whole list i think so too because when amulet I, is too strong it's really hard to interact with and it might instead hit, hit a ban but unless they ban pringle titan or amulet figure this deck will exist in some shape or form right i mean there's two scenarios here like either they ban urza's saga which would be a bummer for the rest of the format honestly or they like kind of hell ban amulet out of existence because like 
there, there's not a summer bloom here. Like, the card that's making this deck so good is Urza's Saga. That's the summer bloom of the deck. And I don't want them to ban that because of the rest of the format. So the only other way, if this deck becomes a problem for them to solve it, would be to take the deck apart effectively. I think you could make an argument for banning Valakut. I guess Valakut or Castle Garenbrig or Dryad, like, you know... Anything to pick apart... I think Valakut or Dryad, anything to pick apart the secondary like win state of amulet where they just put titan into play and win immediately or put mm -hmm. time to play it dies and then play lands and kill you with the falcon sure i could see that because uh, if you just have the access of real titan and attacking you with it it's a lot easier to hate out that's that's really true yeah uh, but now finally mm -hmm. we're at the combo yes. decks hooray uh if you're a crazy person like me you just want to break magic all the time uh, it's not cheap because you're always <laughs> you're always buying new decks. <laughs> you get no overlap. Nope. If you go from one type of combo deck to another type, you know the storm cards don't go into any of the artifact combo decks. Don't go into any of the cascade decks. Those don't go into the creature combo decks. Even the two creature combo decks that are heavily played right now, like barely have any overlap. You're gonna want to get that proxy machine ready, or have a bunch of friends you can borrow cards from. Mm -hmm. This is the best strategies for if you want to just play a bunch of combo decks. Well, and your friends probably don't own the combo cards unless they are like combo DGNs themselves. Hook up with your combo DGN friends. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but there's like a couple different piles of combo decks you can play in the format. Uh, the first one I've listed out here is Cascade decks. Mm -hmm. Primarily, this is going to be your Living End and Rhinos decks, which are. You know, a bunch of Cascade spells cascade into your zero mana spell of choice, win the game from there. With Living End, you win the game pretty much immediately. With the Rhinos deck, you might, you know, take a few turns, but it's pretty much the same thing. Mm -hmm. Just different uh, shades of what other cards go into your deck. Whether you're playing a bunch of big cycling cards or a little more permission with the Rhinos. Yep, totally fine decks. I, I think that it is unlikely these get, like, touched by anything in particular. You know, if you buy into, like, Living End, a bunch of the specific cards are at least, like, cheap, dumb draft commons. So you're not... Your your wallet isn't getting particularly damaged. I think the, like, main expense for any of these Cascade decks is the Force of Negations. Yeah. The most... One of the most expensive cards in Modern, I believe. Yeah. Just in general. Yeah, over a hundred dollars at this point that is wild that is a rare from mh1 not even a mythic yep i also have a glimpse of tomorrow listed here because i like that deck but it's not a player <laughs> <laughs> but if you have all the cascade cards already all you really need is like some glimpse of tomorrow's <laughs> i i do prefer the version that you are working on right now to the god awful emerical omniscience things yeah that's just like ley lines to up your like you can like you can cascade and you can hit and then you can just like put some lands and a wave sifter into play every now and then when i'm working on glyphs of tomorrow decks i like to imagine the world where that card's symmetrical like warp world mm -hmm. Whew, what a busted card it would be really messed up if it were symmetrical because other modern decks like aren't like capable of taking a, a warp world and being happy with the results it would be a tybalt's trickery sort of uh sort of format mm -hmm. Moving on from Cascade, we've got the creature combo decks. Only two of these that I picked out. Uh, Heliod and Yogmoth, Both, you know, named after their premier creature card. 
Uh, the Heliant deck at least contains cards you can reasonably play in other decks, like Collected Company, Utopia Sprawl, mm-hmm. Arborof, and Skyclad oh. Operation, I guess. Utopia Sprawls, though, are really expensive right now. It is really hard to justify buying this card at the moment. But if you want to play one of these decks, then then sure. But this has to get a reprint. Yeah, at some point. I don't love Heliod Company's place in the format. I just really haven't seen it be played that much. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't seem to match up particularly well against what people are doing right now. Though, I did have a Skyclave Apparition kill my Asmore, and it felt really bad. So, you gotta take that to account, I guess. Take this 0-0 when you kill it. <sighs> I think this deck is actually okay right now. I, I think that a combination... Like, the, the Moto interface didn't keep it down before, but I think it's legitimately worse. Like, Moto Infinite Life is meaningfully different from actual Infinite Life right now. And, and that is a huge problem for the deck. And I, I think it does actually match up okay against a lot of the stuff that people are doing. I do like that this list in the 5-0 thing that I pulled is just playing two day aside. Like, this is still the best deck in the format, and everyone's <laughs> playing it. Yeah. I appreciate the dedication to not changing a card in your 75. Also three damping spheres, which I think are also questionable at this moment. I don't think they do anything. Right, I think this is just the list that they had together from like a month ago, and then they played it in a league. Yeah, 5-0, easy. Yep. Uh, the Yawgmoth deck I'm significantly higher on. Uh, mm-hmm. I think this deck's quite good, but of course has a bunch of cards that are just played nowhere else and are unreasonably expensive, like Geralt's Messenger. You can't, I, yeah, I can't recommend buying this deck, just because like Geralt's Messenger is like $30, and I don't know. Like, the deck is, is fine. The deck is pretty good. I think like, it's better than fine. I think it's a clear step above Heliod if you're trying to play a Ranger combo deck. Yeah, that's probably true. I guess it's not horrible. It's just like Geralt's Messenger is too expensive, but the rest of the deck is, like, all kind of within the range of, of stuff that makes sense. And you get to play Crime Punishment, too, which is a neat card. <laughs> Not fantastic, but since you're read in every just time. green. Oh, it's uh, it basically just stops constructs and food tokens at mm-hmm. a pretty cheap price. Yeah, sure. You could you could totally buy into this deck. It's fine. Definitely proxy it up, play a bunch of games with it, because not a lot of going back on these. Like, Ignoble Herrick is a card you can play another deck. None of the other cards have really seen play anywhere else. Yeah. Gris is sweet, though, but Gris this is, is really, like, the only deck for it, for sure. I think it's mostly because it's the only black-green deck that isn't playing Lurus. Oh, that's what I mean. But, like, <laughs> it needs to be a black-green deck that has, you know, throwaway creatures in it. So it's ne- it's never going to be a member of a, a Thoughtseize category deck. It it has to be a member of this type of deck. Oh, you just got to wait for my Sedgemore Witch green-black control deck with Grist. I'll keep you notified. I mean, I'm ready. Just, like, hit me with it. I, I, I'm... I'm totally down for that uh, next up we've got artifact combo decks which are pretty good actually uh though not a lot of overlap with the other artifact stuff because i think the best one is hammer time mm-hmm. which is a Luris stoneforge mystic pure steel paladin colossus hammer urza saga deck you just <laughs> throw colossus hammer to play kill them with it uh, this deck does not have a lot of overlap 
especially since most of the expensive cards in the deck are cards that are a Stoneforge Mystic or b don't see play in any other deck like Steel Shaper's Gift or uh, Esper Sentinel. Which is God, please do not buy twenty dollar Esper Sentinels. I'm begging you, don't buy twenty dollar Esper Sentinels. So I actually think Esper Sentinel is really good in this deck, but it is good actually nowhere else. Right, right. And I think people are still trying to make it work in other places where it's not a functional card, and that's why it's $20. But I do like this deck a lot. I think it's quite good. It, it's good in this deck because it no, is No, no, a... no. I mean just the deck in general. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm just, like, saying why... Like, it's playable in this deck because it is another artifact creature that you can put a thing onto has like a medium relevant ability and can be your third artifact for metalcraft so that you can equip for free. Like it also has this weird so you're a combo deck that's looking for specific cards, but you don't really want to go all in because mm-hmm. your opponents hold open removal a lot. Mm-hmm. And Esper Sindel actually helps you out with that, where if they want to cast spells and hold open mana for cards, yeah. It it taxes you a little bit more. And if they choose not to pay the tax, you get to draw closer to your combo card and play or play a longer game. It just helps you out on like its abilities actually relevant in addition to all of its other stuff, mm-hmm. which is the only time I've ever seen <laughs> any part of that card used. It's really bad in most decks. Yeah. The other artifact combo deck I've got is just grinding station breach, which I mostly included as a way to use Emery Urza saga stuff. If you aren't into food shells, Mm-hmm. There's a couple different ways I've seen to build this one. They're mostly blue-red or sometimes Grixis. And the most prohibitive card, if you're already invested into artifact stuff, is going to be Mox Amber. And I guess the grinding stations themselves are not cheap, because they're like $15 for an uncommon. It's never been reprinted. Yep. This deck is probably not very good. And easily hated, and people are playing some number of stonies anyways, maybe. But it's neat. So Doomwake and Canister have been playing with Underworld Breach decks, and I think mm-hmm. this is one of the best times it's ever been. I don't think it's a bad deck. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably not great and just mostly inferior to mid-range artifact decks because they're more robust. Mm-hmm. But if you are playing against Amulet a bunch, you would way rather be on this deck than an Asmore sure. deck. If you've already you know invested you know, Mistress Bobbles and all that stuff. Right. And I mean, a lot of the expensive cards in this deck are have are widely applicable. They're things you will use in your mid-range artifact deck. So if you want a change of pace from your mid-range artifact deck, like it's relatively easy to transition over to this. I've been playing this deck a little bit. I mm-hmm. I like it. I don't. I'm not convinced it kind of has a place yet, but it is not weak enough to write off for me. Sure. It, it does have a little bit of the pro- classic problem of Storm, where there's like a lot of angles they can interact with you on that, that can mess you up. But unlike Storm, it can potentially win through that because you're just playing some number of Urza Sagas and Urzas and like Thought Monitors, and you, you might just like make some 5-5s five and kill them. Yep, a classic sigh with uh, Grinding Station and Urza. Even mm-hmm. if they have a Stolen Silence out, you just get to spin Urza with such huge regularity. Yeah. <laughs> right, even if they have Stony Silence out, Grinding Station does a thing, because you can tap it for mana with Urza, and it untaps every time you play an artifact. Yeah, untaps twice if you have Psy out. Mm, that's pretty sweet. It's mm-hmm. a lot of mana. 
Uh, and then we're just kind of going into the dregs of modern. I've got spell combo mm-hmm. decks, which are just ad nauseum and storm. They're, so just ad nauseum. Yeah, just ad nauseum. <laughs> I have seen storm be played, but it is, in my opinion, way worse than ad nauseum because it's way more interactable. Like ad nauseum is hard to interact with, and it's pretty consistent now with profane tutor. And you get mm-hmm. Thassa's Oracle, which is a super cheap card because uh, it costs two mana. Uh, but Storm does not have any of those benefits. You have to generally play around mana dorks, which are easily killed. Your hate, hate permanents are extremely strong against you. And there's not a lot you can do about it. it it's typically going to be a worse version of Adalthium. And you haven't gotten a new card in years. You can't you know? even play Expressive Iteration on this deck. Right. It. It's just not a very... Your, your cards just kind of can't keep up. Um, ad nauseum, uh, Profane Tutor is a big addition to the deck, and it functions... I mean, it, this is just a Thassa's Oracle deck. It's the most efficient way to win with Thassa's Oracle. Thassa's Oracle is broken. Like, the deck is okay. The deck is fine. And then I have some spicies. Spicy one-ofs. <laughs> uh, I just pulled two, because there's a ton of decks in Modern. Uh, and that is Mill and Velomachus Lorehold. That's the time warp, just guys, savor the moment, pile. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll talk about Mill first because it plays no good cards. <laughs> yeah, don't. Maybe don't buy into this one if you want to, like, expand your collection and useful possessions. Mill is basically a burn deck, but preying on different types of strategies. And unlike burn, anyone can put a sideboard card in their deck that will instantly get played and be a huge favorite to win the game, and that's an Eldrazi <laughs> Triton. <laughs> that's why you see random Kozilex and Emrakuls and Gaia's Blessings in the sideboards of these decks in Magic Online events. It's because of Mill. Mill yep. actually is good uh, with two sets of crabs. It's really consistent. The problem is you just can't do that much against sideboard cards. Mm-hmm. Yep. Even if you surgical the thing, like they still get a graveyard reshuffle, and that might just beat you without them doing anything. Uh, this deck has also traditionally been good against a couple of the decks that aren't seeing any play in the format right now. Like, Mill beats the crap out of Tron, but nobody can play Tron right now. So, and 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 Valakut as well, but nobody's playing Valakut. Uh, the Lorehold deck, I like a little more. It's top eighted twice, but only in one challenge. It's got, it just got two copies in the top eight. Uh, it's... Biggest strength to me is that it plays Ren and Six and relatively reasonable cards, and then just throws a bunch of Time Warps and Velomachus in the deck with Indomitable Creativity and Dwarven Mind to power it out. Mm-hmm. I think this deck is personally way too clunky, and you don't really need to win this way. But if you want to win with style and you have Ren and Sixes, you know, go for it. <laughs> I will not begrudge anyone wanting to win in style. I I have the same urge. It is kind of a bummer to like, ooh, I want to put this goofy deck together, and then it's just like, oh, I need to spend three hundred and eighty dollars on Ren and Sixes if I don't own the like. Okay, I guess I'm not gonna play this deck then. Yeah, it's not like Ren and Sixes are a replaceable card. The card is incredibly strong and unique. I I mean I think that a lot of the games it wins is just because it started on turn two Ren and Six. Like you also don't need Velomachus if you have Ren and Six on a time warp. Like if you retrace Emblem with mm-hmm. time warp. You're you gonna find win. another Ren and Six, right? And you win. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't. You can just, attack them with a one-one. It doesn't matter. It's a really powerful alternative plan that number one 
means that I think that when you're sideboarding, like you should think about trimming on the package and the savor the moments and playing a more normal game of magic where your goal is just like protect this red and six and kill you with it. And number two also means that like, I think that probably the core engine of these cards ultimately works out better in a different deck where you're not playing uh, Velamachus Lorehold and savor the moment in it. But it's fun. Yeah. I. The point of this whole podcast is just to figure out decks you like to play mm-hmm. and then play them. If you want to play Velamachus Lorehold, if you want to play Mill, if you want to play Merfolk, like, go for it. As long as you're right. willing to sink that cost and you're like, this is what I want to do. Just do it. As long as you're having fun. Why else would you play Magic the Gathering? To complain on Twitter. That's easy. Next question. <laughs> you don't have to play Magic the Gathering to complain about Magic the Gathering on Twitter. I've, I think most of the people who complain the loudest haven't played a match of Magic the Gathering in months. So, you know. So we need to start my... gatekeeping more aggressively. That's what you're recommending. <laughs> Well, you know, maybe you have to have like a, a punch card that's filled out in order to make your complaints. Yeah. So which would be gatekeeping. Absolutely. But, you know. Oh, you hate Magic the Gathering? Name 10 <laughs> Watsy blunders. Worlds. <laughs> wait, 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 what's what's the meme? Uh, name that's something. Ter- I set the bar too low. <laughs> <laughs> name something terrible Watsy has done. Uh, stolen thousands of dollars in money from the players. Oh, that's that's on me. I set the bar too low. Yeah. I think that wraps me up. Do you anything you want to talk about in this, or do you want to like shift over to complaining about random stuff? You can do whatever. Nah, we've done we've done enough complaining. Although this episode honestly was mostly full of joy. I think so. Hopefully, well, yeah, that was a pleasant experience. Magic is fun. Yeah, like we get to play F and M on Friday, which is three days away. And I'm heavily mm-hmm. looking forward to it. Yeah, it'll be really nice. I need to figure out what I'm playing. Or even if I want to, if I just want to go hang out like a normal human being. I mean, I, I do whatever I I've want. I've got Amulet right there with no Urza Sagas and Once Upon a Time's and Field of the Dance, which I'll probably need to replace with something. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, definitely a, a handful of changes to make. You can see I haven't touched my collection a bit as I still have the Amulet just right there with banned cards in it. I have been like updating so on my like shelves behind me I'm starting to put like the skeleton of each of the modern decks that I own cuz modern decks you know as much as we talked about overlap and, and stuff like most modern decks don't actually have very much overlap at all so like I own burn and I own dredge and I own several decks and so I'm just keeping them in boxes on my shelves without the fetches and shocklands in them and then I can put them together at any time. So that's a nice thing to have and I'm going to stay focused on like keeping them updated and stuff so I can always just grab them and go to it, you know, hand them to somebody usually rather than playing most of them, but it's kind of just nice to have. I just have a bunch of boxes I sort through and pull cards out from cuz that I just like seeing all the cards that I own. <laughs> Sometimes I'll come across a random jester's cap and be like, ooh, I own you. <laughs> this will come in handy. I played it in the open. Yeah, I don't really have anything else except to once again emphasize you do not have to spend money in order to have fun playing Magic the Gathering with your friends. Proxies. And honestly, like stores should consider just like unsanctioning and running proxy tournaments and having that be how people play Magic because it 
I mean, it's just honestly, better. that'll probably happen the instant Watsi pulls support from LGSs because that's mm-hmm. the only thing tethering to, that, to them is the WPN status. It correlates to how much money the stores can make. So once Watsi eventually pulls local support, that's when the stores don't care anymore. Yeah, as much as they want to believe it's like, oh, our our magic audience is like now people who watch streams play EDH and play on the kitchen table at home. But like, there is a reason that Raghavan is $50. Like, it's not because it's good in EDH. N- right. I mean, I kind of want to play it as a commander because I think that's really <laughs> cute, but that's not the reason that it's expensive. Like tournaments drive card prices and card sales like the competitive formats or at least the the formats do drive card prices and card sales and if you pull support i mean you've pulled support from like organized play as a whole and then when you pull the lower level so there's no reason for stores to sanction their events like there's just no reason to buy cards anymore and i i think that will hurt them more than they then they think it will. And I'm a little worried about the consequences of this particular course of action that they're taking. You know, I'll be waiting for Star City's announcement every day because that's how I've been engaging with Magic and how I will engage with Magic going forward. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm fortunate enough to live on the East Coast. I Honestly, they, so Star City has like their retail store, Star City Comics and Games. They have a 1K on Saturday, which I'm strongly considering just driving to. (laughs) (laughs) It's three hours away. It might be worth it. I haven't decided. I mean, and like there is an inbuilt incentive, obviously, for stores and in particular for for places like SCG to have real tournaments with real cards like they sell the cards. Yeah. But there's also other ways to monetize having people in your store food playing stuff yeah like and, one of the lgs's near us is a like a tavern pretty much mm-hmm. they sell food yeah like the scg tour is never going to be an unsanctioned series because the whole point of that is to sell magic the gathering cards but local events like they're once watsy makes it impossible to make money off of selling magic cards like there just might be a better way to engage with the game than that but for now modern is great and i'm really excited every time i get to play it yeah I'm, I'm pumped i'm super pumped to play some paper modern let's do it that is it for us thank you for listening to all of this we really appreciate your time if you want to lend us some support head over to patreon.com slash mtg grindcast if you want to find us on social media i'm tweeting from at ccr underscore grindcast lee is also on twitter i'm at lee mccleo that's it for us have a great week bye